Luke 11, 5 through 10 is our text. So please open your Bibles that you've brought with you or the Bibles that are sitting in the pew or in the chairs. We changed our pews, right? So in the chairs. So we're a Luke 11. We're going to be covering verses 5 through 10. And then next week you're going to start up with 9 again and you're going to get a review of 9 and 10 and go a little further. So 1616 in your um, Bible if you've the ones in the chairs. Are we there? Okay. So um, the disciples had said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching the disciples to pray. And he goes on after he does the very familiar, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And when they keep changing the translations a little, it keeps messing us up if we memorized it in another version or another translation. Right? So we're praying. He's teaching us to pray about our daily needs. And then Jesus goes on in verse 5, and he says to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This is God's word for us this morning. And so this morning we're going to talk and listen and understand what the Lord's trying to teach us about big, bold prayers. And the way I'd like to start that is by talking a little bit about a missionary by the name of Jackie Pullinger. Um, Anybody ever read or know anything about Jackie Pullinger? Okay, a few of us are familiar with Jackie Pullinger. Well, let me introduce you. Jackie's in the picture in the middle um, of several young men. She has been a missionary to an area of Hong Kong. She grew up in England, a very proper English woman who studied music. I don't remember if it was the oboe or clarinet, some, some musical instrument, graduated with a musical degree, and she loved adventure, and I get the feeling that she was a little, she was spunky. Um, she did not grow up Christian, and she thought that Christian, if you became a Christian, that it would maybe mean a boring life. And um, you had to dress a certain way, and you just couldn't have much fun, is maybe her perception of it. And then she became a Christian, and she had this sense that the Lord was calling her to be a missionary. And she didn't know where he was calling her, but she just had this sense. And so she kept praying about it, and she would ask people, and she just kept having this sense of go, go. And so she went, I believe it was to an Anglican um, bishop or vicar, and um, asked him. And he said, well, if the Lord's saying go, you better go. And she said, but where? 
And then she had a dream, and in this dream, it was a strange dream. It was a dream, I think it was Africa, that she had seen the continent of Africa, but then she saw a pink, like a country that said Hong Kong, and she didn't know what that dream meant. And, um, and so, again, she kept praying and asking the Lord what to do. The missionary society said, if you're not at least age 25, we won't send you. And she thought, I need to be obedient, and the Lord is telling me to go. And so finally, through a series of discernment, she got on a boat with a ticket to the furthest location that she could go and the instructions from her um, pastor, so to speak, saying, just pray and ask the Lord where to get off. And so she had the opportunity to go as far as she could possibly go, and she was going to just pray and seek the Lord on where to get off the boat. So she gets off the boat in this area where um, China and England had negotiated a settlement and uh, Hong Kong was going to be separate. And there was this certain area that was called the Walled City where um, nobody really took any uh, legal jurisdiction over. So it was a very wild, a very um, dangerous place. And she, was, she arrived and that was where she felt like the Lord was saying to go. And so she was in Hong Kong. And she had only enough money for about three days, they said. And the Lord started providing. And she got a teaching job. So she's teaching um, students music. And she's teaching English conversation. And she's praying and praying. And she's being led by some other missionaries to go in to visit into this very dangerous, gang-infested, high heroin uh, addiction area with lots of prostitution, very, no um, sewage system, very, very, uh, very, very yuck, yes, who? Um, very, very slimy, very spiritually slimy environment. And the more she goes there, and she doesn't know the language, but she just keeps feeling compelled to tell people that Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. And she's back in a little bit safer area doing teaching, and she's praying and like, Lord, I believe you're telling me that I need to spend more time down in that walled city, but how do I do that because I need to support myself? And Lord, would you please show me whether maybe there's a different way that you want to support me? And she got a phone call the day after she had prayed that, Lord, am I supposed to give up my teaching, this part-time teaching, to be able to study language and to spend my time in the walled city. And she got a phone call, and the person said, hey, when you quit your job at the school, I just wanted to let you know that my husband and I feel like we are supposed to give you $200 a month. And she said, well, I'm not planning to quit my job. And she said, well, we know that, but when you do, um, we just want to let you know, we felt like we should let you know that we're going to support you in $200 a month. And she said, well, I couldn't possibly quit until my current obligations, but I have been praying about this, but I wouldn't be able to start doing the walled city ministry until July. And the woman said, wonderful, because that's when the um, money will be available. And this was November, the day after she had prayed. Lord, if you, I see these people, they need, they need the love of Jesus. If you want me to change Would you give guidance and would you give provision? And the Lord gave the provision. That was a big, bold prayer from somebody who's single, 
who's female in a dangerous place and asking the Lord, who's already living on faith and trying to be bivocational, and all of a sudden the Lord's saying, I'm going to provide and you're going to take a greater step of faith. Big, bold prayers. We often recognize people's needs, or at least I think we do, but then I read an article about prayer, and it said that the majority of our prayers are for our own personal situations, that our prayers are primarily about our own health, our own safety, our own strength, our need for forgiveness, and for guidance. That's predominantly what we pray about, and then there's this little wedge represented in the purple at the top of the circle that maybe is where we pray for other people. That's our intercession. Our petitions are our own request, and then the intercession, praying for other people. And so we do recognize needs, but maybe that doesn't always translate into prayers. This is a quote from Alice Smith, who's the co-founder of the U.S. Prayer Center. Intercession is not a job. It's a passion. It's a stethoscope to the heart of God. And that phrase, it's a stethoscope to the heart of God, got my attention, maybe because I'm a nurse, but maybe because when you put a stethoscope in your ears and you put it up to somebody's chest, you can hear their heart. Boom, 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 boom. And if you think about prayer, and we're praying for people's needs, and that, that's when it gets close to us hearing God's heart. Boom, 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 boom. What do we see around us? And when we start to pray for other people's needs and for what they, where they're lacking, God's love, their peace, God's grace, that when we start to pray for, on behalf of other people and bring those needs to the Lord, we hear God's heart. We need a kingdom culture, and I think if we have a kingdom culture and thinking about the king who is the Lord and all of his subjects, that our circle, our pie of prayer might change so that how we're praying for others, because we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. And the proportion of our time that we spend praying for others, I believe, will increase as we pray and ask the Lord, give me a kingdom mindset. Help me have the heartbeat for other people like you do, Lord. And so Jesus, as he's teaching them to pray, he's teaching them, and if you'll notice, all these, these pronouns are plural. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We have individual needs, but it's very corporate. And I think that in this individualistic United States, we tend to be kind of self-absorbed. Would you agree with me? And the Lord invites us today to recognize that when Jesus is teaching them about prayer, he starts teaching them about going to a friend on behalf of another friend. And so he's showing us that God is our friend and that we can take our own friend's needs and go to the Lord for provision. Well, we'll recognize that this is not always convenient because this friend showed up late at night after people were already tucked in bed. And don't you know that sometimes you find out about needs late at night, and it's not always convenient. It's not always convenient to take the call. It's not always convenient to um, take the email message. 
it's not always convenient to hear somebody come and say, hey, I've got a, a problem, I've got a need. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? The Lord's showing us, Jesus is teaching us, that it may not always be convenient, the needs that we find out about. And we may not always have the supply. The person was going to a friend at midnight. Can you say midnight? Some of us are old enough that we don't like to be awake at midnight, right? And some of us are just plain all tired, and we'd like to be asleep before then. But at midnight, so it's not convenient, and there wasn't the supply. The person did not have bread, but yet they were going to another friend to get bread because even though they didn't have the supply, they weren't released from the responsibility of providing And I think we need to make note of that and ask the Lord what that means in our situations. It's been said that the greatest stimuli, the greatest motivation to prayer is knowing needs and then knowing and experiencing the character of God. And so if we are in touch with not only our own needs but other people's needs, what would motivate us to bring that to the Lord in prayer is knowing the character and having an experience of the character of God so that we'll know that he certainly is going to provide. We know who has the supply. And culturally, within this context that Jesus was teaching, bread was baked every day. They didn't have preservatives. Their Twinkies didn't last until 2020 or whatever, you know, their bread would start to get moldy right away, so they just baked bread daily. And different people would bake, use these common ovens and bake the bread. And so they knew if anybody had made extra because, well, don't you know, if you walk around the neighborhood, you can smell if somebody's grilling. You know, you know who's grilling. Well, you know who was baking the bread that day, and you knew who might have a supply. You would know who to go to. And Jesus wants us to know who has the supply and recognize that we would go in prayer to our Father in heaven to ask for the supply because he's the one with the bread, so to speak. Now, it was in midnight and they were in bed. And in that culture, sometimes they shared a common bed or they had a bunch of little mats on the floor and their houses were just one room or maybe two. And so it's a very practical thing. If you've ever tried to get a child to sleep, you know when they finally go to sleep, you do not want them to wake up. You want them to stay asleep till in the morning because you need to reboot and reset your own amount of patience and stamina for the day. And so here they are asleep. They're tucked in, and the knock comes on the door. Neighbor, neighbor, I need bread. Ah, oh. ah. Oh. What in the world? Who's calling me? I put my iPhone on Do Not Disturb at 10 p.m. Who is knocking on my door? Who is knocking on my door? And why? What would motivate somebody to get up and risk waking the kids up? Why does that friend get up when they hear the knock? Well, it's surprising that Jesus said it's not because of the relationship. You would think that it was going to be based on the strength of the friendship well, this is a good friend, this is a good neighbor, so of course I'll get up. Or, you know. But no, it wasn't based on the relationship. He says it's based on the boldness of the request. 
And so as I mentioned, how these houses were set up, it was a very bold thing because you knew you were going to likely wake up the whole family to go ask for bread. That boldness is called audacity, audacious, lots of nerve. I looked up the synonyms for audacious. It means moxie. It means grit. It means um, spunk. It, well, there's other ways that you could say it, too, in colloquial language. I'm not going to say that. But, you know, it, it was a gutsy move to go at midnight and say, I need some bread for a neighbor that's come and stay, or a friend that stopped and stayed at my house. It was shameless. It was shameless. There was no shame because there was a need, because in that culture it was so anti-hospitable to not provide for a guest who would come and stay overnight. It, it would just be unheard of to not provide, and it would be unheard of to serve a broken loaf of bread, to give them a partial loaf that was left over. You do not give leftovers to the unannounced guests that show up to spend the night at your house. The bread was considered the main part of the meal, and it was supposed to be a whole loaf and enough to adequately cover all of their needs for their hunger. And so there's this bold, audacious, shameless, unself-conscious request. There's a need. I've got a responsibility to help provide that need. I need to go to my neighbor who has extra bread made and go and ask for that bread. That is the situation. Are you understanding it? There's a need. I don't have anything to provide, but I must provide because my honor is at stake and the hospitality that I want to offer that's required and expected in this culture. And so the culture is very important. And that's why I say I think we need a kingdom culture because then we'll understand our responsibility and why we would go to make that request. And it's God's honor, too, because he's more reliable than the best of our friends. A couple of things on making the ask or making the request. It was not frugal. There was a guest that came, and he asked for three loaves of bread. It was not a stingy, tiny request. He asked for three loaves. It wasn't bartering. It was like, hey, you know, remember that I gave you something a while back, and so now I need to, you know, put my trump card out and say I need to call that in. And so I, I want you to work with me, and if you'll give me this bread, then, hey, the next time I bake bread, I'll make you double back. You know, you don't read that. Jesus didn't teach that we're supposed to negotiate or barter. We're supposed to make our need known and recognize that we come empty-handed and expect that when we leave this house at midnight, we're going back home with our hands full. Prayer. We, our statistics are showing that we're not always satisfied with our own prayer lives. Um, a recent, the most recent December 2015 issue of um, Charisma magazine had an article on discovering your prayer passion, and only 16% would say they were very satisfied with their prayer life. And so I think that it represents that 
The disciples weren't satisfied. They certainly had been taught rote prayers, prayers to pray, but they weren't satisfied with their prayer life, and they're asking Jesus to teach us. And so I believe that the Lord is teaching us today that we can ask him, would you stir up my prayer life? Would you help me to understand how I may have a more active, passionate, satisfying prayer life? And I believe the Lord's saying, pray for others. Recognize the needs and your kingdom responsibility and start to pray for the needs of others. And so this article offered some helpful things, and I thought maybe I would just share a couple of them with you. If you want to have an active prayer life, you need to be passionate about something. And so as we look at different people's needs, there's different ways that you might have a passion stir up in you. And so they suggested look for what's happening around you at work or where you volunteer, where you spend your time. What are the needs that you see? Because that can certainly help you be one of those that would go at midnight and knock on the door to ask the Lord, to provide for the need. And so for Jackie Pullinger, as she made that transition and she started to serve in the walled city, she walked into these brothels, she walked into the drug dens, she walked along the streets, and the heroin addicts were just sprawled out maybe 15, 20 years that they had been addicted. And she would say, Jesus loves you. And she would hand them a track. And she would... She was working on her language. She didn't have the language, the communication challenge. But she was walking around saying, Jesus loves you. Can I pray for you? And anyway, and there just wasn't much traction. And so she was getting discouraged, and she was seeking out counsel from other missionaries about how might it be that I could be more effective. Because I see the needs, and it just kept bugging her because she kept thinking, you know, when Jesus was on the earth and he walked and he saw the needs, people brought all their needs to him and he healed them. And she thought, if Jesus was here, he would be healing them. So why is he, he healing him if I'm asking what is happening, what's the problem? And she was really struggling. And then one of the prayer meetings that she went to, they said, well, you were given a gift to pray in a language that you didn't know. Are you using that gift of tongues? And she said, no, I really didn't see that it was that beneficial, and I quit doing that a couple of years ago. And they said, well, yeah, it is a lesser gift, but it's a gift nonetheless, and it would build you up. And we believe the Lord would use that gift if you would pray that way, that he would bless that. And she was a little, like I told you, I think she was pretty spunky. And she, but she was so frustrated with seeing the need and trying to figure out how it is that the Lord could help her be effective. And so she said, okay, I'll do it for 15 minutes a day. I'm just going to set my timer. This is, you know, I'm going to set my timer for 15 minutes, and I'm going to pray. And so every day for 15 minutes she would pray for the needs of the people in the language that she didn't understand but the Lord had given her. Now what I want to say to you is I'm not saying... Everybody needs to start praying in tongues 15 minutes a day. But I'm saying, the Lord used this. And what if we would pray for 15 minutes in whatever language the Lord gave us? How many of us are praying for 15 minutes a day for the needs of our, that we see on the west side, at our workplaces, in our homes, in our relationships? And she started to pray. And I want to read this. 
She, this is out of a book, Chasing the Dragon. And she wrote this book not to be a pattern for other people, but she said, I thought maybe if I encourage people to pray and step out in faith and to follow God's leading, that maybe they would start to have their own stories, that they would write their own books eventually. And I believe the Lord wants many books written from the people that are sitting right here this morning. Books about prayer, about God's provision as you pray, about the way that he works and moves. And so she said, every day as I promised these other missionaries, I prayed in the language of the Spirit, 15 minutes by the clock. I still felt it to be an exercise. Before praying in the Spirit, I would say, Lord, I don't know how to pray or whom to pray for. Will you pray through me and will you lead me to the people you want? And I would begin my 15-minute stint. After about six weeks, I noticed something remarkable. Those I talked to about Christ believed. I could not understand it at first, and I wondered how my Chinese friends had so suddenly improved, or if I had stumbled on a splendid new evangelistic technique. But I was saying the same things as before. It was some time before I realized what had changed. This time I was talking about Jesus to people who wanted to hear I had let God have a hand in my prayers, and it produced a direct result. Instead of my deciding what I wanted to do for God and asking his blessing, I was asking him to do his will through me as I prayed. She prayed for 15 minutes every day, bringing the need to the person who had bread, so to speak, And the Lord started to provide, and he started to change things. So one way that we can stir up passion is to start to pray for the needs of those around us. What moves our emotions? That's another way that passion can get stirred. And if you recall, we prayed for the Greens housing, and we prayed for Mike Force and his housing situation. With tears, we have prayed. And Jenny... The Lord's provided. And Mike will very soon, maybe in the next week or so, in the week or so, be in a house. And so what are those things that move our emotions? Maybe each of us saw in the news that horrible, violent act out in California this week. Maybe that was something that stirred our emotions and would cause us to start praying for peace on earth and goodwill to men. Things that we run into in our day-to-day obedience, just as we're going day-to-day, what are those things that we see that we would pray for? I mentioned to Pastor Dave, I saw somebody fall in the middle of Lake Michigan Drive on my way here this morning. Well, that's unusual to see somebody running and fall and then get up like a deer in the headlights and start running back the way they had come. And so I'm just going about my day, just coming to church this morning, see a need, and I start to pray for that person. They must be disoriented. Something's going on. Lord, would you bless them? Would you keep them safe? What is it that we see? Vic and Mike and others have seen that there's people that are without hat and mittens in the middle of the winter here. And so last year the Lord stirred you to start a hat and mitten ministry. And This year, you're feeling the sense again, like the Lord's asking us to do something. Well, our approach to ministry here isn't to just look it up and 
Google it on the Internet and see what another church did. No, we're going to the one who has the supply, and we're asking him for guidance. We're asking him for provision. We're asking him for wisdom so that when we go out with those hat and mittens, it isn't going to just be a, like, oh, I'm just going to feel good about myself by coming over to Nick and giving him hat and mittens and then go, well, I did my good deed today. No, we're going to go, Nick, what's your life circumstance? Like, hey, how are you doing? You know, what's, what's happening? Can you talk to me a little bit and start to develop a relationship? That would be how the Lord would lead us. But we need his wisdom, and we need boldness, and we need courage, and we need grace. We need humility. And so we need to ask the Lord for those things that we need so that we can take the needs that we see, go to the one who not only could give us the mittens and gloves, but could give us the compassion and the humility to want to go build a relationship rather than just give a handout. Am I saying that right, Vic? Life circumstances can stir up a passion for prayer. And so maybe, like some of, maybe some of you, like me, have a, a mother that has Alzheimer's. And so maybe people start to pray about people that have Alzheimer's and blessing and, you know, that kind of thing just because of a life circumstance. Or maybe it's a situation where you've got a sibling that has a disability. And so the Lord's given you a compassion to pray for people who have disabilities. And so that helps stir your prayer. Whatever you're, Maybe you recognize that um, as an older person, you recognize how beneficial it would have been if somebody would have mentored you or would have discipled you. And so maybe as an older person, you start to pray about, Lord, how would you use me and how would you use others like me to disciple some of these young people that I see or these young families that I see, you know, or budgeting or I don't know what it is, but the Lord knows that you've had life experiences and he doesn't just give you those life experiences just for yourself, but he uses those so that you start to open, he opens your eyes and you start to see needs and opportunities to pray and ask the Lord to bring glory to himself and to encourage and build up other people through those opportunities. The last one, a way that maybe the Lord would stir passion for prayer, is praying for God's purposes and his timing on earth in different situations. His purposes and his timing. And so one of our members, Vic, has been praying for his family members to come to know the Lord. He feels like that's God's purposes, and he's been praying for the timing of that. And he's been seeking the Lord. Well, I've got a story that's going to be shared this morning, and I'm going to invite Lori to come up and um, join me. Lori Carter has um, attended church here um, a couple of times. Thanksgiving service, you are here. And um, let's see, I probably need a microphone. Lori is Vic's sister. Testing, testing. You try that. Hello? I think it's on. Let's just hold it up, and they might have to change. Hold it right there. Okay. Not down low. I know. It's tricky. I've never held one before. There There we go. Um, This is Lori. Hi, everybody. And um, Lori's Vic's sister. And um, you have a story to tell us about how that um, actually I think Vic's prayers and others' prayers 
have been answered? I believe they have. Um, it's been a real trying time. Uh, actually, it's been since the end of October, me and Vic kind of reconnected together. It's been a few years, and as many of you know, you know, Vic had a troubling life, and he finally found God. And I didn't really believe it at first. And something was telling me I needed to get back with my brother. Well, my father had fallen ill, and that was very hard to deal with, with him being out of state. And I started asking God to show me. You know, I need guidance. I need you to show me. I started contacting Vic. Look, I need you to go with me to see Dad. He's like, not a problem. So we started, you know, conversing, and we took the trip down to West Virginia, and we were there for a week. And, you know, normally I was the type of person when somebody came at me with religion, you know, hey, that's that's your prerogative. Please don't preach to me. But for some reason, listening to Vic, it really wasn't bothering him. You know, it didn't bother me at all. And I was enjoying it. And I was starting to ask a lot of questions. So therefore, it started me to start praying more. You know, pray for my father. Pray for the well-being of everybody around him. Please guide the surgeons or doctors that are going to try and heal him. And I'm like, I really need you to show yourself to me. Because I hear a lot of people say they've found Jesus. And, you know, I'm like, what is that like? I need to know this. I need to know you're real. I started, you know, we came back from West Virginia. There was no lot of we could do. We kind of hit walls, so we came back. And my husband and my mother and my son, well, they, a week later, had to go back to try and deal with other situations. So that left me with a lot of spare time. <laughs> I'm not used to being alone at all. It's, um, my husband's been by my side every minute of the day, He's very supportive. And I can't tell you enough how much I love him for that. So he went in my place to go down and try and figure things out for us. So Vic was not about to let me sit at home and feel sorry for myself. He's like, hey, I need a ride to church. I'm like, okay, well, since I'm here, I might as well stay. And That was, was on Thursday? Well, this is throughout the month oh, okay. of November. And, you know, a couple times here, and it just felt so warm and welcoming here. And everybody is very, very nice. I couldn't feel more love from complete strangers. I've never felt that. And I started feeling really warm. And it made me want to come back and visit again. I want to do more. I love coming here. And it's strange because I've never really had the desire to go to church. But now I do. So we came in, I helped him volunteer a little bit, what I could do, Thanksgiving was the first service I really actually sat through, and it was a small group, which it was, you know, comfortable. I'm like, okay, there's not a lot of people staring at me, I'm new here, which Vic's like, meet my sister, meet my sister, here's Lori, and I'm like, you know, so, you know, just everybody made me feel welcome. Well, Thursday was commodities day. And I thought, well, we'll go help. He was opening up Grace Space. But the night before, I kind of had a dream. 
And it was just telling me, you know, you really needed to be there. So when I came in Thursday, I somehow, some way, you know, I was kind of asking Pastor Dave, uh, thank you, by the way, for being there. Uh, you know, what does this dream mean? I'm not, I don't understand it. I needed help determining what it is that I'm feeling. He's like, let's pray. And we added in, you know, a little bit of my ailments. I'm going to the doctor's tomorrow. And we started praying, and I closed my eyes. And all of a sudden, I didn't really hear anything was going around me. I could hear prayer, but I couldn't. After a couple minutes, it started just being prayer on the outside of me. And when I closed my eyes, I started seeing this glorious light in front of me. And he just kept coming closer and closer. And it just felt like he was starting to wrap his arms around me. And he became one. And at that point, I became pain-free. I felt no pain. And it was like he was telling me, he's going to be there for me. He's going to help heal me. And I felt like a totally different person. I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? I'm like, oh, my gosh, Jesus has shown himself to me. And today I feel like a completely different person. My anxiety is gone. My fear of finding out any bad things that may be, I don't feel like they're going to be bad. And I just want everybody to know that he is real. And if you ask, he will show himself to you. I've been asking and asking, and he finally did it. And I'm not the one that was going to church for years, seeking this. I had been praying for a while, and he showed himself to me on the 3rd of December around 11 a.m. And I will never forget that day. Lord, you are great. You are very glorious. And so not only has Vic been praying and the Lord answered his prayer and Lori accepted Jesus and encountered Jesus in a very profound and unique, um, but not, not that unique because the Lord does, has been showing up in visions and dreams around the world. But um, I talked to Lori yesterday on the phone, and she said, Pastor Gina, I could not keep my mouth shut. When I went to work later that day, she goes, I had to tell my coworker about Jesus. And then one of my customers came in, and I just felt like I should tell them that Jesus is here, and they could bring their needs to Jesus. And so Jesus met Lori because somebody prayed for God's purposes And so Jesus teaches us a really radical, simple faith. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You see a need and it's really radical. We just go, we have a God who has provision and I can ask him and he will help. He will open a door. He will help us have wisdom. He will give us what we need. Where we bring our needs To God's love and faith, that is prayer. And I love that definition. We bring our needs and other people's needs to God, to his love, in faith. We ask, we seek, we knock, and the Lord provides.
Jesus was teaching them how he was going to provide and how we could make the ask of the Heavenly Father. And Jesus knew he was on his way to the cross to make that possible. The privilege of being able to go to the Father and to ask for whatever the needs are that we see around us, it came with great, great price. And we have the opportunity to invite big, bold, audacious prayers because of our sweet, dear Lord Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so now I'm going to invite us as a congregation. You have needs. You know your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. Those around you have needs. The world has needs. And we're going to go to the Lord now in our family prayer time, which, as you know, means we pray from wherever we are with a nice loud voice so that we can all join in in agreement in praying. And so, Lord, would you help us now to bring you our prayers, our praise, our thanksgiving, and the needs that we see around us.